Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host, and hopefully your thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy and marriage counseling for over 25 years. And during that time, I've been so blessed to experience and witness countless breakthroughs of the people I work with as they actualize and summon new possibilities into their lives. I've written several books, including The Possibility Principle, which is the companion to this podcast. On every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Please make sure to go to zoomwithmelschwartz.com and check out the new courses I'm offering on Zoom. The next one up, which is starting shortly, is called Cultivating Intimate and Resilient Relationships. Thank you for joining my community of possibility seekers, and please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. This is going to be the start of perhaps five or six episodes on the nature of relationships, on our struggle with relationships, the rather universal struggle that we have, the great hopes we begin with, the disappointment we engage, the intricacies of relationship, and perhaps a new way of thinking about relationship. It's time for a new game plan so we can thrive in relationships more often than we struggle. Boy, wouldn't that be a change. As an aside, I am offering a Zoom course called Cultivating Intimate and Resilient Relationships. Please check it out at zoomwithmelschwartz.com. Let's begin. Today's episode is going to focus on what's the problem? Why do we struggle so much in relationships? Now, my focus may be on romantic relationships, committed partnerships, but much of what I'm going to be sharing it also pertains to friendships and relationships with family members. What could be harder than succeeding in our relationships? And what arguably could be more important? Now, romantic relationships, I believe for the majority of us, often begin with a great feeling of love, passion, excitement, intrigue, and fascination. Many years ago, the first book I wrote was called The Art of Intimacy, The Pleasure of Passion. Here was the premise to that book. The fact that 50% of marriages end in divorce isn't actually the problem. The much larger difficulty is that the majority of intact marriages, and I would say the majority of intact committed relationships, are far from happy. So what does that mean? Only a small percentage of committed relationship after a certain length of time actually thrives. That's an incredible rate of failure. If marriage were corporation, it would be bankrupt. We would never tolerate that rate of failure in our businesses, in our education. Why do we tolerate it in our relationships? It's kind of blind, isn't it? 
sometimes I may find myself sitting at a wedding and listening to two young people so engaged and hopeful and in love, and they exchange their marriage vows. I will love you forever. I will be committed to you forever. And I think to myself, not likely. How sad. But it doesn't have to be that way. The problem is that we go into this most important venture in life, committed relationship, and think we can wing it and succeed. Nowhere else in life do we do that. No. Actually, we do do that in parenting. Another tragic consequence to that. But anywhere else in life, we get training, we get education, we go to school and learn history and English and math and social studies, all for purposes of educating us, helping us prosper in life. But we got no education in this most important endeavor, how to thrive in our relationships. That's tragically sad. And frankly, it's insane. When my sons were in high school, they had a day called Seminar Day. They would bring in speakers to talk on any number of topics. I was invited to speak on this very subject. My sons were quite embarrassed that day and would not attend my lecture. But I spoke to the fact that emotional intimacy, emotional intelligence, communication skills need to be the foundation of our relationship. They need to be the foundation of our education, not an afterthought. The high school I saw many years later was now offering a course on that work as an optional course. Well, better than nothing, but it should be required. So what are the skills that we need to learn to prosper, thrive, and feel successful in our relationships? I'm going to be moving into that in great detail over the coming episodes, but right now, let's just cite them. One, emotional intelligence. What does emotional intelligence mean? Well, simply being aware of what I'm feeling and being able to properly communicate my feeling. If I am aware, for example, that I am feeling angry, but I don't become angry, I'm aware of the feeling. I don't become the feeling. Then I can communicate effectively and say, you know, when you just said that to me, it made me feel so angry. Can I tell you why? That's an effective communication. We will spend a lot of time on communication moving forward. Emotional intelligence, the ability to know, to see and witness my full range of emotions and to be able to see them in others or to inquire about them. Emotional intimacy, another pillar of relationship. Emotional intimacy is the ability of two people to share their feelings and thoughts with each other. I find it in committed relationships, frighteningly, such a large percentage of our thoughts and feelings aren't communicated. And actually, ironically, it's the positive, loving thoughts that are not communicated, and it's the critical, if not destructive, thoughts and feelings that are. The third pillar of effective relationship, resilient relationship. By the way, by resilient I mean this. Life is hard. We're going to get knocked down. Relationships are opportunities for learning, for growth, but they're challenging. Resilience is the ability to pick yourself up, to bounce back, 
to learn and grow and do the hard work. So resilience requires the ability to communicate effectively. We have no idea of how to communicate, not just in relationships, but in general. We'll be spending at least an entire episode on learning new skills and insights for effective communication. But let's take a step back and just look at what happens in the process of a committed relationship. You know, what we call our relationship is really about her relationship with herself, my relationship with myself, all of the other infinite number of relationships that have impacted each of us. And then we simplify that and call that our relationship. I know you've heard the expression, my other half. Some people say, my better half. I have always found that expression odd and curious. But in times, it speaks to part of the problem. If I see myself as a half and see my partners being my other half to complete us and make it whole, it means we are each terribly incomplete. Nowhere in the continuum toward authenticity. And so there's a neediness then built into the relationship, which is I'm not okay without you, and you're not okay without me, and you complete me. If that's how you feel, we need to look to ourselves and ask, why do I need another to complete me? The purpose of a relationship is to enhance your life. But the goal would be to feel full or moving toward wholeness on your own. Now, that term, my other half, speaks to the fact that often there is a tendency for opposites to attract. I learned about this some years before I entered the field of psychotherapy. When I was in my late 20s, I decided it was time for me to get married. I chose to marry my high school girlfriend, who I had been dating on and off throughout my 20s. And our relationship, honestly, was tumultuous. Why was I choosing to marry her? Well, I thought I was in love with her, but was I? In hindsight, I can say, was I? I can look back and say, I kind of resembled a half. She was the opposite of me in so many ways, and she looked like my other half. At that age, I was still struggling with feeling introverted, shy, and had a certain range of social insecurities. My former wife, ah, I tipped my hand. She became my former wife. Well, at that point in time, she was extroverted, very outgoing, very sociable, and in that way, my opposite. Well, she took care of my need for being sociable, having friends, having social activities. Her outgoing quality was very much an opposition and therefore completing my insecurity and my introversion. Well, for that and certainly other reasons, I asked her to marry me, and she agreed. Fast forward, 13 years later into marriage, we now have two children living the life that I thought we should be living, and I will never forget one afternoon sitting back and reflecting not just about how unhappy and discontent I was in my marriage, but thinking about her. And my insight was this. Over those 13 years, or for the entirety of the time I knew her, She hadn't changed at all. She was the same woman that I met, thought I was in love with, and asked to marry me many years later. So why was I now unhappy, frustrated, discontent, and impatient with her? She hadn't changed. 
Well, I had. I had grown, evolved in any number of ways. I was no longer introverted nor socially insecure. In fact, I felt very sufficient in those areas, which now caused me to look at her differently. Part of my attraction toward her had been her extroversion, her outgoingness. Now those same qualities I looked at and I saw them through an entirely different filter. I began to see her as actually socially inappropriate, lacking filters, lacking discretion. She caused me embarrassment. I also began to look at other parts of her life far more critically than I had earlier. Perhaps my neediness, my dependence upon her, had caused me not to look at things which should have been yellow flags or perhaps red flags early on. You see, neediness gets in the way of a proper evaluation about who we're choosing as a partner. So what I am getting at here clearly is that we need to evolve and grow and feel more authentic and developed within ourselves before we can make a decision that we're choosing appropriately, or at least think that we are. A lifetime commitment in a relationship is a very, very long time. Let's just look at what we mean by committed. So often, or typically, with very few exceptions, when people make a commitment in a relationship, It's a commitment that sounds like, I will love you forever. I will never cheat on you. Well, again, as the expression goes, how's that working out? Not very well. Why is that? Because we're committing in part to the wrong thing. We're committing to an outcome. We meet, we make conquests, we fall in love, we're a couple. And we commit to the outcome and we go absolutely to sleep on the process. We need to commit to the process of the relationship, which would indicate a commitment on both parties' part to keep growing, learning, evolving, learning new skills. If we commit to the process, we'll get much better results in the outcome. Wouldn't that make sense? But we don't. We secure the relationship, we commit to the outcome, and we go to sleep. We become stagnant. We start to distract ourselves from whatever levels of emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual intimacy we may have felt to begin with, and the relationship begins to wither. Sad, sometimes tragic, regrettable, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm going to be introducing over the next number of episodes what I call the art of relationship, a rethinking of how we do relationship. Relationship is not like a cookbook or the six steps to a happy relationship. Relationships are complex. They are enigmatic. They are not reducible at times to objective realities. Relationships aren't objective. And as I'm going to be coming to try to demonstrate to you, very little really is objective. So this process of committing to the process. Interesting how I put that. The process of committing to the process. Think of it this way. It's a process of becoming rather than being. Like, I am in a committed relationship. Statement of fact, objective, stock, inert. I am in a committed relationship. This may sound awkward, but the way we should think it is to say, I'm committing to the process of my relationship. See, that's actionable. There's a verb. 
two individuals, romantically or otherwise, who enter into a close, intimate relationship, who each commit to their individual growing and evolving together and growing and evolving together as a couple, who are prepared to learn and open to and embrace the art of a relationship and all of its complexities, well, we might get different results in a relationship. Relationships present opportunities for each individual's growth. I've never worked with a couple where I didn't see that. What one person is struggling with or triggering in their partner always creates an opportunity for the other individual's growth. It doesn't mean you need to comply or fit into the pigeonhole that your partner is asking you to, but there's always something to learn. There's a fascinating, wonderful, and when I say wonderful, I mean full of wonder dynamic to relationships where there's an engagement of two souls doing this dance together, and the learning opportunities are just absolutely profound. Now, this is the introduction to rethinking our relationships. Today, I was setting the stage simply in explaining why relationships are so difficult, why we struggle so much. Again, ignorance, lack of education, regrettably in most cases, not growing up in a home where your parents shared emotional intimacy, where they modeled it in their relationships with each other. And so we just wing it and think it'll turn out differently. Odds are it won't, but it can. Does this sound like hard work? Well, was it hard to learn English, to learn math, to learn foreign languages? Of course it was, but it was required for us educationally, so we learned it. So what if it's hard work? If you're having the thought, this sounds like hard work, stop and look at that thought. Well, anything worthwhile is hard work, isn't it? Raising children is hard work. So check that thought at the door and say, I'm prepared to learn whatever I need to learn so I can prosper as an individual and in my primary relationships, romantic relationships, relationships with friends and family, relationships as a parent, relationships as a child. This is all attainable. I can assure you of that, provided that you're ready to embark on the excitement and the adventure of learning a whole new way of looking at your relationship with yourself and with others. In the coming episodes, I'm going to be teaching you about a new way of looking at the paradigm of relationship, how we can integrate principles from quantum physics, like inseparability and uncertainty, to become the bedrock for thriving in a relationship, how we can embrace uncertainty rather than shun it. I'll leave you with this thought for today's episode. Oscar Wilde famously said, uncertainty is the essence of romance. Well, you may have heard me say this before, and if you think about it, you can certainly see its value. Yet once we commit to a relationship, there's very little uncertainty and predictability prevails. Well, then predictability is the death knell of romance. And no, passion does not have to die. But passion being like a fire in the fireplace requires stoking it. And if we don't stoke our passion, it will die. So please stay tuned. There's so much more to come. Join me on this adventure. And I look forward to 
meeting with you again very soon, rolling up our, our sleeves and moving into these three pillars, emotional intimacy, emotional intelligence, and very effective communications that will support you not only in your relationships, but in your relationship with yourself. Great convening with you. We'll talk again soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this episode's topic and other similar subjects, please be sure to check out my book, The Possibility Principle. Your feedback is always welcome. You can comment on this or any episode of the Possibility Podcast by simply visiting melschwartz.com and clicking on the podcast link in the menu. You can also reach out via email to mel at melschwartz.com. The very best way to make sure you never miss an episode of the Possibility Podcast is to follow the show and subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get new episodes as soon as they're released. And while you're at it, please take a moment to rate and review the Possibility Podcast an Apple podcast or the podcast app of your choice. Ratings and reviews help raise the visibility of the Possibility Podcast, and that makes it so much easier for new listeners to discover the show. So thank you for your honest review. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up all those new possibilities that await you.